0: Good morning, everyone. Today's scripture is from Mark 8, verse 27 through 38. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels." Now, guys, this has been absolutely changing the way I view the church and church culture. I mean, this has been a game changer for me in helping me understand how the church is meant to be more relevant and engaging with the surrounding culture. Uh, Why does this matter? Because conceptually speaking, the American church across the board is not doing a great job with engaging in the culture. Uh, How do I know this? Well, the data shows us. People are wanting less to do with the church or are leaving the church in greater numbers than ever before. By the way, probably doesn't come as a surprise to you. The Bay Area is leading in this trend. But the reasons for which they are leaving or why they are not wanting to go are just tragic. We've talked about this. The top three uh, that data will show us, surveys will show us, or the top three uh, that you'll hear in conversation outside these walls are hypocrisy, Self-righteousness and judgmentalism. Uh, I say it's tragic that people are leaving the church or wanting not to go to church to begin with because of these reasons, because of all things, these are three things that Jesus himself vehemently opposed during his life and ministry. I mean, are you kidding? Hypocrisy? Self-righteousness? Judgmentalism? I mean, we've already, in the book of Mark, as we've been looking through this, have seen Jesus just go after these things. And yet people are not wanting to go to church because of this. In other words, people are rejecting the church because of Christians and not because of Christ. And that's tragic. Uh, I was reading a book uh, a while back and uh, the author was saying that the reason for all of this is a a Christian author, a pastor, the reason why uh, churches are are being driven away by the church itself for these sorts of reasons is because the church has adopted a posture uh, that is not helpful. A uh, posture of, and I, I will describe it this ways. And this is a, there's a sequence here. Of first, you got to behave. Then you can believe. Then you belong. So behave first, okay? Fit in. Subscribe to our norms, whether we can tell you what they are or uh, you have to figure them out. Fit in. Then you can behave first, and then you can believe. Adopt our doctrine, and then finally you can belong. Then then you're in. You know, secret handshake. Congratulations. But the author was saying that this posture is not right. This sequence, this attitude within the church is not right. It needs to be flipped. It was around the same time that I was reading uh, the the scriptures and just thinking about this, trying to process this as a pastor of uh, of church uh, life. And it was at that time I came across this text that has just absolutely brought this all into focus for me. And it's just, as I mentioned at the offset here, been game-changing for me. Because this text shows the sequence is not behave, believe, belong, but rather belong, believe, become. Uh, Jesus flips it on its head. And so what we're going to do today is see how Jesus here has been intentionally doing this sequence with his disciples and consider uh, why this matters for us as a church, and as individuals, uh, wherever we are at on our spiritual journey. Okay, so belong, believe, become. First, belong. Verse 27, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. So, we need to understand here that this moment for Jesus and his disciples was absolutely monumental. I mean, commentators agree, chapter 8, verse 27, is the turning point in the book of Mark. I mean, it divides the first part of Mark and the second part of Mark. This verse, because it's the place where Peter and the disciples finally get who Jesus is, and they profess it, Jesus, you are the Messiah. Now, we're going to unpack uh, unpack, uh, the word Messiah here in in a little bit because it's so important. But first, I just want to pause and consider with you just how long it took for the disciples to get this. I mean, Mark 1, chapter 1, verse 1, starts with this saying. Mark, pulling it together, he says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah. That's how he starts his book. Dot, dot, dot. Eight chapters and 27 verses later, Peter finally gets it, you are the Messiah. Uh, we are told, uh, some commentators say it is it is about two years, maybe even two and a half years into Jesus' three year long ministry with these guys until they finally get it. Which, think about what that means. Before it finally clicked for the disciples, before they essentially became Christians, understanding and receiving the salvation Jesus brought for them, they got to first observe, you know, listen to his teachings, watch him in action, his healings, see his heart. But not only observe, they got to participate. We saw this last few weeks in the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000. They took the loaves, the fish, and they distributed it to those in need. They didn't just watch Jesus do his thing. They got to participate and then pick up afterwards and understand the miracle and, and the beauty of what God was doing and be a part of that. But perhaps coolest of all, in, in my humble opinion, is not only were they observants, not only were, were they participants, but they even became his ambassadors. Do you remember a few weeks back when we looked at the text where Jesus sent them out to heal, to teach, to do all things? By the way, that verse says, you know, when he sent them out, with authority he sent them out. Which means Jesus allowed them to belong long before they ever even believed in God, who he ultimately uh, is. Look, that's why this is so important to us here at Current. Uh, we, we often say, you will hear, you've heard it said today, uh, you will hear it many times over, said again, uh, this thought, you're welcome here wherever you're at in your spiritual journey. Because by the way, we are all on a spiritual journey. And for those of you who who are here and don't identify as Christian, it is our great honor and privilege to include you. By the way, not to say, hey, we're just so glad you're here. We tolerate you. No, pull up a chair, roll up your sleeves, and serve together alongside us, with us, as we love our neighbors here in Silicon Valley. Uh, we, We want you, just as we want ourselves, to belong. Um... We're all looking to belong as we seek Jesus. Uh, you know, when I was uh, uh, younger and in college, I had a buddy of mine uh, who actually old, uh, became a groomsman of mine. Uh, who uh, This was how it played out in his uh, spiritual journey. He grew up in a Christian family. And uh, for his experience, when he was a little guy and then through his youth, it was very much the culture of behave, believe, and then you can belong. And he really had problems with that. Saw right through it. Smart guy. Um, but he, he really had problems, and he just rebelled uh, and, and took that rebellion to the extreme. I and mean, we were talking, you know, the church youth groups vandalizing property, I mean, getting people involved in substance abuse. I mean, he was just, he was a punk, let's put it that way. Um, but he had to go to church. He was forced. So that's, that was how he dealt with it. And then in college, when he was, you know, quote, on his own, at UC Berkeley, no no less, which is how I got to know him, uh, he left church altogether Of course. I mean, he's just like, I'm not forced to do this anymore. I'm going to have nothing of this. But he was still a punk, I mean, doing his thing. Um, But he met some mutual buddies of mine, which is how I ultimately met him. Guys who were just really down to earth. I mean, cool guys, guys of character, churchgoers. And they invited my buddy to church, to which he said, no way. I mean, I've been there before. I know that goes. I'm not going. But my friends uh, persisted and they said, hey, we get it. Uh, But this church is different. I mean, they're not like that. Just check it out. And so my friend, I'll I'll call him B, uh, he said, you know, all right, I'll check it out. I'll give it a shot. Uh, And so he went. And, you know, he left that day saying, you know what? Huh. Okay, these folks, they're different, okay? They care deeply about God. Uh, They care deeply about each other. They care deeply about this community. So I guess, okay, guys, I'll I'll come every once in a while. So he came back from time to time. Eventually, the church needed a drummer. And by the way, he wasn't turned away. Hey, you got to know the secret handshake before you can be in the band. Uh, He started to play. uh, And little by little, time after time, he heard messages. And they started to make more and more sense. They resonated uh, for him, with him. Uh, One day, he was playing the drums and he actually uh, stopped, uh, this is after the sermon, uh, before uh, everybody was dismissed for the day, he stopped playing in the middle of the song, which, you know, if you're playing the drums, that, that causes a little bit of a disruption. He's looking at his sticks, and he started playing again. And then he stopped, this time for about five seconds, and started playing. And he stopped, maybe, I don't know, ten seconds this time, and finally he just threw up his sticks into the air. I remember one uh, hit a tom on the way down, made this loud, loud crash. He went down to the front. And as he puts it, put his faith in Christ that day. Um, now, look. Do I share that example to say if you're here and you're 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 seeking spiritually, then then we expect you to follow this paradigm, this pattern. Uh, no, that's not why I'm saying this. Uh, what I'm saying is we want to create a space, an environment for you to engage. Or maybe this is your fr- your friends, your coworkers. Uh, to taste and see who Jesus is to belong and understand uh, what he's about uh, because this is what Jesus did with his own disciples uh, he created a space for the disciples in, in such a way that they weren't second class citizens before they understand even understood even who, who he truly was and by the way Jesus wasn't afraid of allowing these guys to belong Uh, despite their background. I mean, for instance, you remember Levi, the tax collector? Uh, He was, by any measure, let alone how a church would perceive him, by how society would perceive him, as a crook. He was a cheat. He was greedy. He was shady. Just by nature of his profession as a tax collector. And what did Jesus say to him? Levi, get your act together and then we'll, we'll, we'll work something. No. Jesus went up to Levi and said, Come, follow me. Belong. But this text uh, goes on to show that Jesus really does uh, want to move us ultimately toward, number two, uh, belief. Uh, Belong, belief. Look at verse 29 again. Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Uh, Jesus, ever the masterful teacher, uh, was setting this question he really wanted to ask, who do you guys say I am? Setting it up so powerfully, so beautifully uh, with this backdrop and this buildup, the backdrop is the location, Caesarea Philippi. Uh, biblical scholars tell us it is very unlikely a coincidence they were where they were. I mean, Caesarea Philippi is about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee where Jesus spent most of his, his time. So in one sense, uh, it was like they were away, getting on a uh, off on a spiritual retreat, just giving them the space without distraction. Have they gotten this? Do they know who I am? Uh, but it was also, uh, what we're told, uh, a region of many pagan uh, Temples. It was a hilly region, so we're told that uh, all all around these rolling hills, there would have been pagan temples everywhere, uh, unavoidably uh, missed. I mean, the disciples would have seen pagan temples everywhere. Therefore, here's the backdrop. Jesus is saying, do they understand who I am? Or are they going to think that I'm just another God among many? That's the backdrop. Here's the buildup. He asks them first this question. Who do others say I am? It's verse 27. They replied, some say John the Baptist, Elijah, some say one of the prophets. Here's the buildup. Jesus is basically saying, are they going to understand who I am? Or are they going to think I'm just another good teacher or another person who points the way? That's the backdrop. That's the buildup. He's masterfully uh, bringing things together here. And then he asks a critical question he's leading towards. But what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter, for once, (laughs) for once, Uh, the guy who's always putting his foot in his mouth, for once, knocks it out of the park. You, Jesus, are the Messiah. And in Matthew's account, uh, he goes on to say, the Son of God, you are the Messiah. Now, what does it mean? What, What does this word Messiah mean? By the way, in, in Greek, uh, it's the word Christ, which, you know, why we call Jesus Christ. Jesus the Messiah. Messiah literally means the anointed one. Now, real quickly to go through this, I mean, this could be its own servant in its own right. Uh, there are three types of people in the Old Testament who were anointed. Priests, prophets, and kings were all anointed. Uh, priests performed sacrifices for the people. But Jesus wasn't just another priest. He was the anointed priest, performing not just a sacrifice for a people, but offering himself as the sacrifice for all people. And then prophets, they pointed people uh, to the way to God. But Jesus was the anointed prophet, not just pointing the way to God. He was the way to God. At one point, he was saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then finally, kings uh, Jesus came not just to be a king fighting enemies to establish uh, an earthly kingdom. No, he was the king to end all kings by conquering our great enemies, sin and death, to establish an eternal heavenly kingdom. This is the moment it clicked for Peter. He finally understood who Jesus is. Now, did he have all his theology figured out and correctly categorized? No, and we're going to see that here in a minute. Uh, with how he responds to something Jesus uh, says here. But it was in this moment that he understood the centrality of the gospel, that Jesus came to do for him what he could, could not do for himself. In other words, here's what Jesus saying. Uh, Peter is saying in this moment. Jesus, you are the Savior of the world. And by the way, it's vitally important to note here, verse 30, Jesus doesn't deny it. He accepts the title. He is God's anointed one. anointed one. Now look, According to Jesus, everything comes down to this question. Who do you say I am? In a video interview, uh, the great Bono of U2 put it this way. He said, I think it's a defining question, who was Christ? And I don't think you're let off easily by saying a great thinker or a great philosopher because actually he went around saying he was the Messiah. That's why he was crucified. He was crucified because he said he was the Son of God. So either, in my view... Uh, He was the son of God, or he was nuts. Forget rock and roll messianic complexes. I mean Charlie Manson-type delirium. And I find it hard to accept that all the millions and millions of lives, half the earth for 2,000 years, have been touched, have felt their lives touched, and inspired by some nutter. Jesus brings things to a head. He, he did so back then with the disciples. He does so today. And he forces the issue. Either we accept or reject him on his terms. Because he does not allow us to line him up, for instance, among other gods. Nor does he allow us to line him up among other good or moral teachers. And by the way, he doesn't want to relate to us based on what others say about him. Uh, What do they say? But what about you? Who do you say I am? I wonder if any of you here today are as I was, uh, following Jesus because of my family. I mean, look, I am so thankful for my upbringing. I grew up in a Christian home uh, where they took their faith very seriously. But there came a time in my life, this was in college, where I really had to wrestle with the question, but but. What about you, David? Who do you say I am? It was at Cal. Uh, you know, UC Berkeley is a place where uh, you can't just cruise along as uh, a nominal Christian. Uh, I had some friends in my life who just said, so You only believe because your family believes. And after hearing that number of times, like, You know, i got to wrestle through this. But what about you, David? Who do you say I am? Here's what's so amazing to me about what Jesus is doing here. Just mind-boggling about the gospel, the good news. Yes, he wants you to believe. But notice, he's not saying, and here's in this big moment of belief, accept this dogma, this creed, this doctrine or religion. What is he saying? He wants you to believe and receive him, who he is as, as a person. Uh, that's why we talk about a personal relationship. Uh, the Christian faith starts with, I believe in you, I receive you as the anointed one, and all that you've done for me. But it doesn't end there. Uh, Nor uh, do we graduate on from believing in that and move on to Christianity 2.0. Okay, I'm going to get my act together, I'm going to work on these things, I'm going to be a better personary in this way and that way. No, the foundation and path of growth in the faith is one and the same. A deepening relationship with Jesus. So to you who have put your faith and trust in him here, I'd ask you the same question. What about you? Who is Jesus to you right now? A once a week ritual? Someone you only really deeply turn to when times get rough. Um, Is he a spiritual ATM machine? Or is he someone you perhaps have resentment toward because things haven't been going your way or the way you would have scripted them? yourself. Uh, By the way, it took all but a couple of verses for this to play out in Peter's life. Let me check this out. Peter professes, declares, Jesus, you are the Messiah. And Jesus comes back and says, cool, now let me break this down for you, what that means. I have to suffer, be rejected, I have to die, then I will rise to life again. Does Peter say, oh, that's awesome, you're the Messiah, I'm on board with that plan? Yes, let's go for it. No. Verse 32, Peter rebukes Jesus really quickly. That word is so strong. It's, it's, it's basically only ever used when Jesus is rebuking demons. Peter rebukes Jesus. Jesus, that's not the way this plays out. That's not how the Messiah rolls. That's not how we drum up followers. Jesus, in turn, has to rebuke him. Verse 33, Peter, you don't understand. It's got to be this way. The word must happens a couple of times in here. It's a key word it's like I have to I has, it has to play out this way look Peter is such a true to life case study for what we can easily do Jesus you're the Messiah the son of God some of us will say we follow you but you know what? over here <clears> hmm <throat> you know in this area of my life this pain this struggle this temptation this ambition this relationship you fill in the blank no 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 in this area you know I'm going to have to defer to myself on this. But with each of us Jesus is showing, uh, this is belief. This is believing. And all its implication, it's a personal relationship. A growing, deepening relationship that shapes our life. But what about you? Who do you say I am? Belong, believe, and then finally become. So Jesus comes back with essentially, you guys get it, you know, to Peter when Peter says you're the Messiah, all right, now let me tell you more intimately what this means for me and for you. Verse 31, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. Verse 34, then he called the crowd to him along with the disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever uh, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul if anyone is ashamed of me? and my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Now what does all this mean? Look, we've been saying that the church's posture can easily become first behave, then believe, and then belong. You know, belong, by the way, is now you're in. Here's the goal. You're one of us. Congratulations. But you know what our culture hears? You know what our culture feels? Well, we talked about this in the very beginning. They're leaving the church because of it. That's the ultimate goal. This insider-outsider feel, which, by the way, leads to hypocrisy, self-righteousness, judgmentalism. Then they're saying, you know what? I don't want anything to do with that. And you know what? We can't really blame them. But here's what Jesus is showing us in this text He said, you want to talk about an end goal? You want to talk about becoming and what this is all about? Following me, growing in me? It's this, giving of yourself. Giving your life for others. Oh, how amazing it would be if the church was known for that. In other words, those outside the church looking in would see people putting other needs before themselves. Um, Jesus says we must give our life in order to find life. Now, that's a bit of a paradox, isn't it? Now, how do we make sense of that? Like, what, what does that mean? Give our life to gain life? Uh, you know, it's fascinating. In my study, I found that the word life in the original Greek language is, is the word psyche. Um, it means physical life. Uh, here, when Jesus is saying, you know, you must give your life that others, that you might find life and others might find life, uh, it has that meaning to it, the physical, but it, but it's more than just that. You know, this word also means our, our personhood, our well-being, our will, our identity. Jesus is saying, follow me, and you're going to have to give up a little bit of your life. But on the other side, it's beautiful and powerful. Now, how does this make sense, okay, practically speaking? I think it is a paradox, but I think it makes sense. I mean, Jesus said, for instance, love your neighbor as yourself, that's a call to put aside your person, your pers- personhood, your well-being, your own identity. Putting that aside to put the needs of others before your own. Or, as we've been talking about the last few weeks, you don't just love your neighbors or something. Love those unlike you. At one point you just said, love your enemy. And how are you going to be able to do that if not for putting aside your life? in order to lift someone else's life. And by the way, the only way you can do that, the only way you can do that is not trying harder. If you I've, man, I've tried that. You can't just gird yourself up. And I'm just going to love them. You know why? Because that, that leads to resentment. It's just going to bottle up and it's just going to pop out and you're not going to be doing much loving at that point. How can you do this? How can you love others? By giving your life to find life. Perhaps my favorite verse in the Bible... Is Hebrews 12, verse 2. It says this about Jesus for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Okay, Jesus, here in Mark 8, he's talking about pick up your cross daily. Look, we, in our culture, the cross has become a symbol of love, of grace, forgiveness, you know, nice things. But back then, especially to Mark's original audience, Christians, in Rome, under the eye of Nero, who persecuted them and sent them to the actual cross, this idea of the cross, and Jesus saying, you got to pick up your cross, would have been repulsive. I mean, terrible physically, obviously, but also shameful. I mean, these are the criminals, the rough-raff, the people who are just despised were executed this way. And yet it says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. How could he do that? How does this make sense? Well, it's because Jesus saw the bigger picture. It's a paradox, but only in his death and his defeat did you and I have the opportunity to receive life and victory when we put our faith in him, when we receive him. That's the gospel, that Jesus died to give us life. And he calls us to do the same. That we might receive life, and by the way, that we might give that life to others. Because the end of verse 35, it says it this way. It says, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Jesus is saying, hey, there's life on the other side for you, but there's also life on the other side for others. And church, that is our calling. Look, that's why we have our name current. Uh, here's how we say it. There's a strong current in the Silicon Valley to find our li- To find life. Personhood, identity, psyche, and career. Making the big bucks. Which, by the way, I don't have to spend time making this case. I mean, he says in verse 36, We can gain the whole world, yet still feel empty. But doesn't that bumper sticker say, He who has the most toys still dies? I mean, we get that. That's why Jesus said, Whoever believes in me as the scriptures teach... In other words, that he is Messiah, that from within them will flow rivers of living water. In other words, there's a new current in Jesus that when we find our life, our psyche, our identity, our personhood, our worth, our value in him, there's life both now and forever. That's our calling as a church. Uh, So what will you do with this Jesus and his calling? Wherever you're at spiritually, let's pray. Father, we're just so thankful that you came to give your life that we might find life. We just don't deserve it. And Father, we confess as a church, we don't do a great job at giving our life for the sake of others. But would you help us in this? As individuals and collectively, that we would be known as a church that, that loves you even to the extent of, of loving sacrificially like you loved us, loving others. Uh, We need your help, even in this. It's It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.